Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop, and we spent five seasons of Loose Units, the podcast, talking through his cases, but the unexplained and the paranormal kept rearing their heads. So this season, we're going to take a look at hauntings, ghost stories, and the crimes behind them, because the story doesn't end when the killing is done. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. I'm going to start this episode of Loose Units The Shadow Files in a slightly odd way. This is a real estate listing for a house at number 3 Morehouse Street in a suburb in WA called Willoughby. Beautiful brick cottage, restored, renewed, refreshed, and located in a leafy street so close to all amenities, this darling house offers style as well as convenience. Sitting on 432 square metres and delectably presented, viewing will be a pleasure. What you will find, three bedrooms and two bathrooms, Original polished Jarrah floorboards throughout. High ceilings. Crisp white window blinds, French doors and trims. And it goes on and on. But what this real estate listing will not tell you, understandably, is what actually happened in this house back in the 80s in Perth. Because this is where four women were murdered. And where one more was almost murdered. Dad... You told me this week that you wanted to talk about this crime that happened, and I said, look, the Shadow Files were trying to stay very location-specific. And you've gone so specific as to zero in on one specific house, the one that I just told you about, the one that sold recently for $425,000 to a local couple. This is so localized and so specific. There are people who will live on this street who will know exactly what happened in this house. Can you talk us through, for those of us who don't know, I mean, first of all, Dad, the murders that we are talking about today are called the Morehouse murders. They are named for the street on which they occurred. Is that correct? This particular story, and I have delved deep into a lot of, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of been my life for some time. And Paul, over the last few years, we've looked at some pretty bad stuff. But would you not agree that this is terrible, this story? I mean, dealing with the family for three weeks was deeply traumatic. And I guess I always just sort of assumed, quite foolishly it turns out, that Australia didn't harbour the kinds of serial killings that were worthy of, you know, having monikers like the Morehouse murders. I I didn't realise that 
I know I'm naive, but I just didn't think this kind of stuff happened as much as it clearly did. And the 80s seem mm. to have been a really, <clears throat> like a very, very um, busy period for psychopaths. And this is, mm. you know, mm. this is a very small street because when we dealt with the case of the witch, you drove, and listeners will know this, you drove Tegan and I down the street, and we won't name the street, and you pointed at that house and you said, can you imagine living there and not knowing? But the fact is that, you know, recently there was an auction on this street and the fact mm. is people would have gone to the auction. And do you think at any point during that day, people in the crowd would have gone, this is the house where the Morehouse murders happened? Or do you think it kind of went by completely unmentioned? It's very possible yeah. that it wasn't mentioned, but it may have been mentioned in hushed tones. And we have discussed ad nauseum mm. Um the types of houses we would or would not, you know, buy yeah. or even rent. Mm. But I could not live in this house okay. knowing what happened to four women and the well, sadistic. Mm. I, I rarely use the word, I'm, I'm reluctant to use the word evil um, because it has all sorts of connotations, but I think... As a human, sometimes we yeah. do revert to some base words, but this particular couple were were in in a scale of one to ten, ten being the worst of the worst offenders ever. I think they 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 rate a ten. Um, well. I just want to read you something, Dad. This is from a Seven News article. It's the third time real estate agent Tony Papineau from one residential house sold the property. The West Australian reports. Real estate agents are obligated to inform potential buyers of any facts that might affect the decision to make an offer. So the buyers are well aware of the property's dark past. Papineau said it was a 50-50 split between people who were bothered by the fact and those who didn't care. The prior owner, Catherine Simpkin, once told the Wests how's that real estate lift out that the house had a positive energy after it had been renovated and she bought the house in 2012 for $380,000. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm looking at photos of the house and it looks lovely. Mm, it looks perfectly fine. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's, yeah. If, you, if you're going to be a serial killer... If you're going to take people back to a den of iniquity, then your quintessential bog-standard suburban house in a nondescript street in a suburb is it's 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 the it's the way. Look at that guy in America who murdered his two children and his wife. Remember, he shoved them down the in an oil derrick. In yeah, the oil derrick. Right. Think yeah. about his yeah. street. Bearing in mind, was, I believe some of his neighbours were, were completely fucking insane, but that's another story. Paul, I also wanted to, to make, and I'm not sure whether this has ever been noted before, but I think it's quite almost, um, if you wanted to talk about black humour, it, and it, I found it fairly glaring, and that is, Paul, do you, does the name of the street ring any bells with you in terms of another couple that were... Serial killers? Morehouse? Uh, it doesn't immediately know. What's the connection here? In the 1960s in England, they had the Moores murders. Oh, yes. And yes, yes, yes. Morehouse and Moores, that's weird. And in the 60s, it was Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. They mm. murdered, tortured five young children 
And in at least one of those cases, whilst they were torturing the little kids, they recorded the torture mm. on, a, on a cassette player. Okay? Now, this particular story that we're about to delve into now, I think it's very important to, to at least talk about the offenders, David Burney and Catherine Burney. The first time people really found out about this was when their intended fifth victim, a 17-year-old girl named Kate Moir, mm. she escaped and basically alerted the authorities. She told them what had happened. And basically, she she's the reason that we know who these people are and that they got caught. Mm. Mm. Um, and I mean, this. so this is back in November 1986. Again, this is this is the time at which you were a police officer. Correct. I mean, you I were was in the police force. Were you, yeah. were you in general duties or were you in forensics at this point? I was in forensics. Okay. Yep. God, that must have been a really hectic time to be in forensics and be hearing about this stuff. Mm. Right? Well, in, in this particular story, Paul, with the the, the first four victims, yeah, they're all yeah. buried in shallow graves. And when I was reading about the forensic uh, officers having to basically dig up these bodies that were very relatively fresh mm. okay one of them had only been under underground for a week so the decomposition would not have been extreme and um but i think we're jumping the gun a little bit um whilst i don't ever like to make excuses and i certainly am not doing that i think it's very important that we all understand that these two people had, and again, no excuse, but their early years were terrible and traumatic. And I think with a lot of people that go into this world of this sort of mad, mad world, if you go back into people's pasts, you can sort of uncover some very very disturbing aspects of their of their early lives um, okay so am i to take it that you're saying that they were abused very badly when they were growing up so the, the sort of a line of abuse from when they were treated horribly to the people they became yes well david burney um he was by all accounts he was he was he was erudite he was literate he was he was he was clever he was smart um he probably although i haven't i can't establish this factually he from what i've been able to glean he his iq would have been at least average if not above average but mm. he was severely bullied at school like he was a very very he was a tiny tiny person and he went on for a while to become a jockey he got an apprenticeship um, at a racetrack in in perth but his family, he was the eldest of five children, his family lived in squalor. His mother was an absolute nightmare of a mother. She was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. She practised, it is believed, and I've read this from many, many sources, she practised incest with her children. I'd heard that, yeah. And her... And his... David's father was wheelchair bound and it was the worst street sorry sorry it was the worst house in a pretty pretty sad street you know it was it was very very kind of 
bad and he from a very early age he started to hurt animals which is a theme that had that is a thread that has mm-hmm. run through some of our previous podcasts and mm-hmm. he when he got this job at the local because he was bullied so badly at school he he was so traumatized that he just left school and there was a trainer at the racetrack that actually felt a little bit sorry for him and the first day the trainer drove to his house pulled up out the front to pick him up to drive him to work which is a jolly nice thing to do the 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 trainer couldn't believe the yard it was appalling it was one of those nightmarish houses where you almost look at the dwelling and almost can't imagine that a family let alone five children could possibly inhabit such a a cesspool Hmm. and this little boy thin almost emaciated comes out and he drives him to a place where he gets a job as a stable hand but he showed serious talent the small problem is that he began to hurt the horses right and then on top of that he began to expose himself you know showing his his um what's the good word for it i guess you could say penis um at random times probably masturbating so that plus the the hurting of the animals was pretty bad but they they kind of gave him a little cut him a bit of slack thought well he's a he's a sort of an ex, a person who's exposing himself he's hurting the horses but what broke the straw that broke the camel's back or perhaps in this case the horse's back was that one night whilst he was working as a 16 year old apprentice jockey he put a stocking over his head nothing else so he was naked apart from the stocking he broke into a boarding house where there was a very very elderly woman asleep and he he attempted um, to sexually assault her and that was the the precipitous moment where the 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 um, the training the trainer of the horses they just they, they let him go and um, he then began his life of petty crime and when he was living at home when he was 14 uh, a girl called Catherine well we now know her as Catherine Burney but her real name was Catherine Harrison she yeah. moved in now that she was the same age as David she moved in next door and when they were they describe it as being pre 14 years of age so you can sort of think 13 maybe even 12 the two of them began a sexual relationship which is pretty early don't you think mm and they developed yeah. a, a, um, a relationship. And it has been said by many, many people, I've, I've read many, many medical and criminal reports that David Burney was, and we hear it occasionally, the term, but he was addicted to sex. And when I say addicted to sex, he was having sex. In fact, he had to have sex on average six times a day when did this turn bad for other people when did this begin to turn towards crime well they were in this sort of tumultuous relationship but then david burney went to jail for a few years and catherine burney also went off for breaking in they broke into a safe 
the two of them. They were sort of partners in crime, like Bonnie and Clyde, but perhaps on a sort of a lesser scale. But then David received three years in jail. Catherine got a little bit of time, but while she was in jail, her one of the prison guards sort of talked her into sort of saying that this David Burney character is a very, very bad guy. You need to stay away from him. And she took his advice and she eventually got a job as a nanny for a fairly well-off family and she became pregnant to one of the sons in that family and the family thought well look as so we're not going to sort of have a like a family sort of you know the the family won't be sort of disgraced so to speak they organized for the son and Catherine to be married and they had five children and very, very early on in with their first child, six months after the first child had been born, Catherine witnessed her firstborn being run over by a car in their driveway. Jesus she witnessed Christ. the entire thing. And, and psychiatrists to this day have inferred that that may well have... You know, broken it, right? I mean, just just sort of triggered off this 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 terrible, terrible, you know, sort of a trauma. And she then, with five children, married. She then hooked up with David again. She left her children and moved in with David. And they began a relationship that was so. It was it was all based around sex. And he had become a, a sexual deviant. He was addicted to pornography, but particular types of pornography that involved, you know, sadomasochism, torture, incest, rape, all that sort of stuff. And but this girl, this this woman, Catherine, who what happened was she actually she's known as Catherine Burney, but she was she changed her name. She didn't marry David. She right. changed her name through deed poll, uh, you know, to become his lifelong partner. And she was so in love with him that her entire life, her entire goal was to please him. And I'd like to read something for you and the listeners. And, I'm, and I sure. don't often refer to something that I've actually, you know, I don't often read from something, but I just wanted to explain to the listeners a little bit more about the 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 Bernie household that's the household prior to hooking up with Catherine because there's been talk of um, David Bernie's addiction to sex and his younger brother it's been reported had explained that the brother David always wanted to have sex and apparently if he didn't get sex after a few nights he actually approached his younger brother and asked him did he want to have sex to which the younger brother replied no I don't and then one night the younger brother was asleep and David Burney hops into bed and tries to have sex with his brother which I think is very disturbing but I did a little bit more research on the brother so I'm just going to read something that's going to creep people out Probably a lot, because it certainly I found it quite disturbing. I'll read it to you. The title of this is Not Your Average Household. But the Burney household was far from normal. David Burney's sexual appetite was seemingly insatiable. 
James Burney, David's younger brother, stayed with the couple. Now, so what's happening is that he stayed with David and Catherine, okay? Stayed with the couple for a short time. When he was released from prison, this is the part that is creepy that I didn't know about, after serving five months for indecently interfering with his six-year-old niece. He told a reporter, the six-year-old led me on. You know what they're like. You know what they can do. I had nowhere to go. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Can you comprehend that, Paul? This is showing me that the younger brother is also, well, yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. And, and I think it yeah. indicates that this is a pretty messed up family. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, at this point, are they living in Morehouse Street? Yes. Yeah. They'd lived okay. in, um, yeah, they moved to three Morehouse Street. Yeah. Okay. And, so- and but 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 David worked at a local tire company. They used to mm-hmm. sell tires, and he was living with Catherine. But what happened was, on October the sixth, nineteen eighty-six, twenty-two-year-old student Mary Nelson turned up at the Bernie house to buy some car tires. The reason she turned up at their house to buy the tires is she'd been to. David Burney's place of work and he said to her knowing that she was beautiful and you know desirable in his eyes look I can do you a really special cash deal don't buy the tires here come back to my house 
and I'll do a deal for you. And this beautiful, I've seen the photos, beautiful. The thing about all these victims, Paul, is that... This is, Mary, this is the 22-year-old Mary Nielsen, right? Correct, the correct. Student. Yeah, yep, okay. Yep. okay. You know, she's a lovely, pretty innocent person. She's got a, just bought a new car. She needs some new tyres. She goes to a, a, a so-called reputable place where, might I add, that, you know, David Burney was, as far as his employer was concerned, he was a, an A-grade top-shelf employee. So all this stuff happened over a five-week period, which is what blows my mind. Mm. I mean, when you look at the family murders, it took place over years and years and years and years, and it and it just felt so. I mean, this is such a like a focused burst of of horror that takes place. Mm. I mean, mm. this girl, this Mary Nielsen, so she's. So the day this happened was the sixth of October, nineteen eighty-six, and that's the day she went to the house to get the tires, and then. What actually happened to her was obviously, I mean, horrifying. Uh, Catherine was watching the whole time, right? Mm. I mean, Catherine was just was was watching David Burney do what he did to her. But but when um, he held her, she was, firstly when you come into the house, she has a knife held at her throat. Right. They then get her into a bedroom. Mm. They tie her down, shackle her with by the ankles and wrists. So chains, I think. Yeah, in chains, yeah. mm. and then. The ordeal begins. Now, Paul, Catherine Burney, she takes a seat very close to the bed and she takes notes. Okay? She's basically transcribing everything she sees. Right, which is which is multiple rapes and multiple. Then torture, and then she gets strangled uh, with a cord, with a length mm. of cord. Yeah, and then I read that he stabbed her because he thought it would speed up the decomposition process, and he said, and I quote, he read that in a book somewhere, and mm. then they um, took her to a shallow grave. Um, I believe it was near the Albany Highway. No, is that right? A lot of stuff happened at the house, and then they took her to a spot outdoors. Mm. And they did more stuff to her. And then they buried her in the shallow grave that you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes they'd be murdered at the house. Yeah. And sometimes they would be then taken out into the bush, taken for a drive. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they were also um, plied with lots and lots of um, you know, tranquilizers, sleeping right. pills. So the first victim was also um, given sleeping tablets. But then they would strangle her and it, and it was... Sometimes it was a matter of David Burney would say to his wife, his de facto wife, look, um, you know, show me you love me. And you can show me you love me by strangling this particular person. So sometimes the girl, the victim would be lying there and the Burney, you know, the... um, you know, the girl, Catherine, would sort of apply a tourniquet to the unconscious girl's neck, but still alive. And then they would, she would tighten and tighten until she took her last breath. And then they would convey the body. It sounds like what you're talking about is the murder of the second victim, because that's when Catherine got more involved. So the second victim was a 16-year-old girl called Susanna Candy, and she was hitchhiking. And we've talked in previous episodes about you know, the fact that people hitchhiked a lot more back at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is two weeks after Mary Nielsen was murdered. And 
but she was also walking along the Stirling Highway in Claremont. And, of yeah, course, Claremont right. then becomes, 10 years later, the most horrendous serial killer. Well, not the most horrendous, but one of the worst, the Claremont killer, which is sort of another thing we'll cover you know, at another time. Yeah. But they've, they're basically looking at this point, um, you know, they're two weeks fresh off their first murder. And... They're driving around looking for a victim, and it just so happens that they cross paths with um, with Susanna. And as we've talked about, it, it's wrong place, wrong time. It's absolutely horrifying. Just the idea that you might be, you know, mm. out Paul, there when they were driving. Do you know what the code was between the two of them? No, no, I don't. Oh, okay. So they'd be driving along, and this is so so interesting. You know, in a creepy way, Catherine would say. As they're driving along, she would basically be the spotter. Okay, that they were they were profiling a certain type of woman, girl, and when Catherine saw someone that she thought would satisfy David's sexual deviant desire and urges, mm. she would say, whilst they're driving, "I've got the munchies." Then, God, that's crazy. If David concurred, agreed with Catherine, as they're approaching the girl at that last point in time, he would respond by saying, I've got the munchies too. That was the death knell for the impending victim. The second victim, when she, she'd been hitchhiking, when she gets in the car, she, she has a knife held at her throat. Now, Paul, it's very, very important to remember, and listeners, that during these terrible crimes, at no point did the offenders try and conceal their identity. If you are picked up by a couple, the knife is taken out, you're taken back to the house, you are shackled to a bed, the people... The offenders are not disguising. They're not wearing masks. They're not wearing hoods. They don't put a hood over you. What do you think the conclusion must that must be drawn, Paul, at this point? I'm not sure. Okay. They're not trying to disguise themselves. There's no way the victims are going to walk out of that house alive. Oh, I see. Yep, that makes sense. Yep. That makes it's, sense. It's so, so terrible. Just remember that salient point for victim number five. So, the second victim was, she was 15, and... 16. Uh, 16. And they got her back to the house, but here's something that's a little bit weird, Paul. They forced the young girl, Susanna, to write letters to her family. Did you know that? No, really? Saying that she'd run away to Queensland. Oh, okay. And then they gagged her, chained to the bed, and I know you don't I, mean, I know we don't like to, to you know, to use the R word, but I can't put it any other way. But they, they, they repeatedly he rep- repeatedly raped her. But one of the terrible things is that after David Burney had finished his, you know, these terrible things, Catherine Burney then hops into bed with both of them 
okay? Mm. And that's at that point that David Burney was trying to strangle the girl with an iron cord. But the poor girl became so hysterical, she went berserk. The Burney's four sleeping pills down her throat to calm her down. And then, once Susanna was asleep, David put a nylon cord around her neck and Catherine tightened the cord slowly until she stopped breathing. So you're right, Paul, this is the second victim. Then they buried Susanna in a shallow grave in a state forest. And then just 11 days later, on November the 1st, they saw 31-year-old Nolene Patterson. She was standing beside her car on the Canning Highway and she'd run out of petrol. Talk about Hmm. how running out of petrol can lead to your demise. How far apart are these locations? I mean, at this point, the police are the police going, oh, shit, women are going missing no, in this area? No, no, no. The police, one police officer had a, had a bit of a feeling because mm-hmm. it's happening so quickly. At yeah. this stage, Paul, I think it's fair, particularly when some of them were writing letters. And what, and in the next victim, the, the Bernies actually get the girl to call her mum and dad to call her while she's in custody, so to speak. And they said to her, they said, if you say anything, we'll kill you. So there's still a, a sort of a, a chance from these victims. You, you'd be clinging on to any opportunity that to, to, to possibly stay alive. You know, be nice to them. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's maniacal. And to, I know this is a, a bit sick and sordid, and please don't cut this out, Paul, because it's really, really important, but... To show you the lengths of depravity that this guy went to, to maintain an erection, he would inject cocaine into the eye of his penis. Okay? And he also would put local anaesthetic into his penis. Just to, to, so he'd stay hard. Isn't that terrible? I mean, I find that extraordinary. I mean, what I read was that um, once they took Nolene Patterson, who, yeah, 31-year-old, found on the Canning Highway, once they took her back to their house and continued to do back at Morehouse Street exactly what they'd been doing before, um, they were going to kill her that night, mm. but um, David Burney wanted to keep her in the house for longer. And the implication well, there was, is that he yeah. he got kind of attached right like he, he, he did. you know he wanted yeah he wanted her around so Catherine then got jealous and said either he kills her or she was going to kill him and then they forced her to overdose on sleeping pills mm, but, but, and but, they strangled but, her but Catherine held a knife to her own throat and she it has did. been reported in some detail later on years later she was prepared to cut her own throat to kill herself because she really believed that that David was almost falling in love with the third victim because she was a very, very beautiful and accomplished woman. She'd been a, uh, an air hostess and she'd worked for Alan Bond for two years and she was vivacious and bright. And don't forget that David was, was, was very well read and he, you know, the jealousy that must have been emanating in that room... And Catherine laid the gauntlet down and said, "It's either her or me." And I'm just, I'm just curious as to. And now this is a very tricky question for you, Dad. But let's say you bought that house. You probably have to compartmentalize a little bit. 
and you probably have to make all kinds of justifications. Like, you know, bad things have happened everywhere. Do you know which room these things were done in? There are photographs of the room. Um, In that type of house, it would be very, very easy to figure out. I thought about this when you first read that, that the introduction and I thought it was a wonderful way to start the episode and it completely threw me, but it was really good. And I thought there's only one way I would ever buy that place and that is if I demolished it. Yeah, I'd, okay. I'd, I'd bulldoze it. And I, that's how I feel. I mean, knowing someone's hung themselves in a room of a house that, you know, that's that's bad, but... Kind of, you can say to yourself, "Well, look, you know, that person was really, really traumatized. They had, they were upset. They, they felt that life had had nothing more to offer. It's it. That's a sad story, tragic and sad. But Paul, a room of torture, yeah. rape and murder, and unspeakable things. And I also would like to say to you, Paul, and the listeners that, and I thought about this prior to coming on air this morning, and that is that a lot of the gruesome facts." we will never get to hear because they would be so gruesome. Um, In my mind, I can kind of run away. I can sort of go down the rabbit hole in terms of what must have happened to those victims. You know, Mm. we're sort of condensing the murder of four women and and the attempted but still terrible assault of the fifth victim. We are condensing this into two podcasts, Paul. Yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes think, is that, you know, is that, are we, are we, are we paying homage to these victims? But is it enough just to condense their lives into to two podcasts? It's, it's problematic, you know. It's tricky. I mean, I think it's important that people know what other people are capable of. I think it's important that these crimes aren't forgotten. Because we can't ever assume that we've evolved past them. I mean, look at the world right now. It's very clear we haven't. Mm. And I think it's really important to try and grapple with the idea that uh, locations carry with them history, right? I mean, this is Mm. something, you know, um, Indigenous Australians contend with on a daily basis. I mean, like, you can walk down a street and have no idea what horrors happened there. And you're seeing a different street. And people who live on Morehouse, uh, you know, maybe they don't know and maybe they do know or maybe kids ride past and kind of go, oh, that's the haunted house where, you know, all that shit happened all those years ago. But that house will have a completely different feeling to family and friends of the victims or, you know, to children of the people who perpetrated the crimes who have no who have nothing but loathing for their for their parents for doing mm. what they did or mm. you know i mean it's it's really complicated and i think one thing this season has done is it's made me view the world around me it's made me view you know my local area and landmarks around australia in a very different context it's mm. it's just made everything a lot more gray if that mm. makes sense yeah yeah no, good point maybe we can touch on that on perhaps the next episode but then also you know the when I say the next episode, I'm talking about maybe loose ends. We can maybe explore some of those, you know, broader issues. Sure, um, sure. But I think this is a classic. It's a, it's a, you know, we've we've sort of we've given our listeners a, a sense of what's to come and what what has transpired. But um, some of the things that we're going to talk about in the next episode, part two, 
mm. some of them are so disturbing because there's there's what happened after when they were incarcerated and, and their whole look it's just it's oh, it's very much so one of the most disturbing stories murders I've ever ever read I think the problem here is that the 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 real evil is not the house it happened in no I agree yeah it, it's mm. the people who did it mm. and well in that case that's, house- that's a good thing yeah it's yeah, not the I, house's I, I fault, think, and that's good. Exactly. I, I don't think a house can be inherently evil. And I know that a lot of people who believe in hauntings will disagree with me, but I think that you could do... The amount of good things that can happen in a place where bad things happen to counteract the bad things that happened to kind of, you know, to, to provide a kind of emotional counterbalance, it's entirely possible that beautiful things have happened in that house afterwards. True. You know, carried out by people who had no idea. True. And to them, the house means something completely different. I think the mm. real evil is not places, it's people. People are the problem here. Yeah, agree. Uh, well, look, we got to this point during the episode and we kind of looked at each other off mic and went, this is not one episode, this is two episodes. So next week, we will continue with part two of the Morehouse murders. And if you live on the street where these things happened, we hope we haven't thrown you, and um, I hope that my sentiment just now at the end of the episode has helped kind of cast things in a slightly different light. Next week, we'll be looking at the final murder victim and the one that got away and at the two monsters and their sort of descent into madness once they get incarcerated. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. We really, really do appreciate you tuning in twice a week to listen to Dad and I. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you later on this week. For loose ends. Bye, everyone. Cheerio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.